Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is a continuation episode. It is inshore fishing for southern flounder, part two. For the first time in Fisherman's Post here history, we have a part one, part two podcast. That much information being shared with us by Captain Luke Donay of Spot On Charters out of the Carolina Beach area. Um, we just couldn't fit it into one podcast, so we extended it on. And this conversation today is going to pick up with live bait, and we're going to talk about gear, and that's going to fill up part two. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in the latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their knowledge, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. Albeit the true goal, I believe, of these podcasts and Fisherman's Post in general isn't just more fish more often, but getting you and your family and your friends out on the water, spending more time together more often. And in this endeavor, I'm joined with my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hello again, Billy. What's up, Gary? Good to see you, man. It's very good to be back. And we both know that we have an easy road ahead of us. We're just going to crank yep. Luke up and let him go, and and that's it. It'll be a wonderful podcast. Yeah, man. It's going to be easy peasy for you, Gary. Just gonna say, hey, you like flounder fishing, Luke? And then just, we're gonna then we're gonna stop the recording when he's done. I'm gonna say, hey, man, those Southport guys think you don't know anything about flounder fishing, Luke. Uh, well, wait until you see his background. I bet I'll prove anybody wrong if you're watching the podcast. And and by the way, if you're watching and listening, we really appreciate you guys uh, supporting us and hit that follow button. I know uh, Apple Gary just changed up their interface, so now you have to follow us, and it's really simple. Just hit the plus sign. So if you want these episodes to automatically download it's now changed and you got to hit the plus sign up in the top right hand corner of the app okay. and uh and that's how you make sure you get the downloads so they, they changed it which is which is cool because we can really figure out who's listening and and all that kind of stuff so it's right. it's for the betterment of the podcast world but we're not talking about podcasting <laughs> talking about fishing dork oh whatever um <laughs> so well, let's see let's give a little shout out to our sponsors here uh our first sponsor up is going to be um ra hitch here we go this is ra hitch right there in the apex north carolina area they got hitches trailers bike racks all kinds of stuff you can jump on their website and uh, i just talked to chris and his team and they're working on some e-com stuff so you can e-commerce stuff so you can potentially in the future go buy some stuff online but right now you can go check out what they do get in touch with them go buy and tell them gary sent you and give they're gonna give you 20 dollars off and make sure you tell them 20 bucks or the, if you say hey fisherman's posting me they might say great but if you say 20 bucks off you get 20 dollars off <laughs> and if you live uh i think chris fishes atlantic beach area right so if you live in yeah. atlantic beach man just reach out and say hey chris next time you come to beach fishing will you bring me that yeah, just just bring me my twenty bucks off and and my product. No, bring me my rack. Bring me my hitch. <laughs> bring me bring me twenty bucks. I'm off. sure I'm he wouldn't mind. Yeah. I'm nah, sure he wouldn't he, mind. Sure, he's in a deliver. Yeah, he's gonna mind. <laughs> what are you? T- 
You're like, what are you guys talking about on that podcast? Hey, will you drive through <laughs> Wilmington on your way to Atlantic Beach next time? Yeah, man. He yeah. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, he's a fisherman, dude. I talked. I didn't know that. You know, he called us and said, "I I love the podcast. Want to support it and uh, want to support the fishing community." And dude, he's a he's an angler. He's invited us to to go, which unfortunately I won't, won't be able to. But I know Gary is bringing to ring him up pretty soon. I mean, I I think I saved his contact <laughs> on speed dial. Right now, he's like, gotta go, gotta go call him. A fishing invite, fishing trip. And speaking of good boats, we got Marine Warehouse Center, which is gonna hook you guys up with a great boat. We're gonna see a video from them, listen to that, and we'll be right. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock. The deal times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wheels. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country. There we go, man. I like the concept of design your own boat. I think, I mean, for me, I am making notes and to myself saying, you know what? My next boat, I would prefer to have, for example, larger gunnels, something I can walk around. Right now, yeah. I don't. So I'm guessing anyone's a boat mm. owner, man, you start thinking about actually designing your own boat. That's attractive. Yeah. I I would just like a boat, so that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'd take any kind of gunnels. I don't even know what the hell a gunnel is. I'll you don't take, even know what a gunnel is. I'll take two, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> a paddle. Did you say paddle or you said gunnel? Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Billy, you are slowly making it towards a boat via Buy Me a Coffee. Which I'm super excited about Buy Me a Coffee. For anybody who hasn't heard of it, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post, and you can buy Gary and I a cup of coffee, uh, also known as Give Us Five Bucks and... <laughs> Maybe we'll buy coffee. Maybe we won't. I will buy coffee with it. So I mean, I'm stoked to get five bucks. Anytime yeah. someone donates, man, I'm like, man, that is an awesome five bucks. And be sure to let Gary know what he should be interviewing about and who we should bring on. So you don't have to do that, but feel free to give us some feedback. Um, any, anywhere you can rate, review the show, reach out to us on Instagram, all that kind of stuff, and say, hey, watch the podcast, and, and let us know. People on YouTube let us know all the time what they want. So. Yeah, I mean, it would actually make my... I could work even less yeah. if people would start taking care of the scheduling of the <laughs> guests and topics. It, it, I can't it, believe I haven't thought about that already. Like, why am I doing this? Yeah, we have a bunch Just of... Just because Billy and I decided it was my job doesn't mean I do my job. Like... You know what? Gary's trying to get to the place in, in, in the podcast world that he has arrived in the fishing world, which is not doing any of the work. And well, so I'm just handing him a rod. Joe Rogan and I were talking the other day. <laughs> sure. Oh man! <laughs> hey, uh, give me a fish photo, and then before we set up Billy's All best right. takeaway, here we go, here we go, here we go. We got Zachary Hood, age thirteen, uh, from Holden Beach, caught and released a pair of flounder on finger mullet while fishing the shallow. The shallow. Wait, how do you say that word? Shallot. Shallot. There we go. Everybody in shallot's like, <laughs> you just lost cred. Get this guy off the screen. He knows nothing. I was like the shallot. <laughs> Whatever. Mom didn't teach me to read. It's all right. Pump the brakes there, boy. What else we got going on? Well, we have Billy's best takeaway. And again, you know that Luke is going to do two things. He's going to give us a bunch of information, 
And he's going to talk a little fast, so you're going to have to keep up. You're going to have to pay attention. And if you do that, then it should be no problem for Billy's best takeaway at the end of part two. I'm super excited, man. Let's, I'll let you take it All away. Right, let's bring him in. So welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Captain Luke Donay, spot on charters to continue our conversation about inshore fishing for southern flounder. How you doing, Luke? Well, doing real well. Uh, actually, I'm sitting there thinking about going to Zion me a boat and get, buy me a, myself a coffee. So, yeah, no, it's all good. All right, well, good. I think you should do it in that order. <laughs> design the boat. Because if you drank the coffee and then design the boat, man, that caffeine might get the better of you. And then you're no. in for an extra 10K. Definitely. Just don't invite your wife to design the boat because there's going to be a lot more cushions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just invite her to pay for it. This boat doesn't make sense. I can't put 15 of my friends on it. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's like, I, I don't understand it, this boat. If you guys get on get on my boat, there's two cushions. There's my cushion that I drive on and one single seat in the front. That's you know, it's just the way it is. It's a fishing boat. It's a fishing boat. Well, uh, Luke, this is a first, a part one, part two podcast episode. Never in the history, in the year plus history of Fisherman's Post as we even thought about this. But you were so full of information, part one, that we had to cut you off and then continue the conversation. But that doesn't mean you don't get out of two questions. Two questions. Are you ready, Luke Donay? I'm ready. All right. So part one, I asked you, why should we listen to what you have to say about a flounder? I'm going to set right. you up a little bit about talking about rods. But why should we I listen to what you have to say about bait and gear? Bait and gear is the top two topics tonight. Well, ultimately, if you want to catch bigger and better flounder, baits uh, and gear both have that uh, in common. But, but also, um, if you want to catch uh, more fish and if you want to sit there and find better fish, um, all of these things kind of go in a round robin, right? It's like, you know, it's not just one thing that's going to catch you better fish. Um, it's, it's all of these things put together. So definitely, definitely want you guys to look at the first podcast to, to when I was talking about tactics and areas. Um, but, but to take baits and gear as well and, uh, you know, kind of mesh those two things together, it's really going to put you in a better stead for sure. And what about gear? Why should we listen to anything you have to say about gear? Well, um, because my gear holds up. Uh, not, not only that, but, uh, there's on a lot of things, especially on the live baiting for flounder, there's small little nuances that can, um, that can really enable you to catch, uh, and actually make that hook set better. Uh, and I'll go in this, this later on with the whole theories about, okay, I felt the flounder thump. I'm going to sit there and, and wait, you know, uh, drink a beer or smoke a cigarette before I set the hook. No, definitely not. Um, the gear that I use enables you to sit there. As soon as you feel that thump, you're going to be able to set that hook and be able to bring that fish in a lot more so than the older gear that used to be out there. Man, you, you kind of missed my pitch. Like in my mind, I was setting you up so that you could, I don't know, talk mm -hmm. about your custom rod business that complements your your charter business. I always thought I was doing you a solid where you could say, well, let me tell you about gear. I'm a custom rod maker. No, I, I definitely am. But, but, I, but I'll tell you that uh, on the rod side, you know, um, there's, there's so many quality good rods out there. I build custom rods because even the, even the, the store bought rods out there 
um, I only like about 80, 90%. There's always something about it that just isn't right, whether it's the fighting butt, whether it's the link from the butt to the reel, whether it's the guide placement, things like that. So I started building rods for me. I didn't start building rods for anybody else. I started building rods because I just quite didn't quite like even the best rods out there. So I, I build quality custom rods specifically, especially for flounder. So it's like, it just, to me, it's the perfect, the perfect thing. And they're called? So this is Mud Puppy Salt Sticks. You can look me up on Facebook. And uh, I, it's, it, I know it's a funny little name. It actually was a joke to start off with, but I just kind of, I just kind of got it um, and uh, kind of held with it. Like I said, it's, it's one of those things that's, uh, it's, it's a fun thing to do. And uh, for me, but it also, uh, I will build you a perfect flounder rod for, for the type of gear that I fish the way that I fish, uh, these rods are perfect for, for what, what it, what it entails. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, uh, you know, the cost of setting you up for that pitch is a custom flounder rod. So I'm glad to hear that you're going to make me the perfect flounder rod. Oh my gosh. Well, you can beg for a boat and I can't Damn. ask for a rod. All right. <laughs> hey, you're okay. I won't get into what your garage looks like, Gary. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll sit here right here on this podcast. I'll sit here right here on this podcast, and I will give you one to raffle off for the final Carolina Beach uh, Redfish and Flounder Tournament that would be uh, on the last day. So I will have one that you can take that you can raffle off. So all you guys listening to this podcast, if you want a perfect flounder rod, I will make you one. You just got to come and enter the tournament, Gary's tournament, and we'll make it happen. Done. Done. See, Billy, huh. I'm an action man. Yeah. But let's, people yeah. aren't tuned in for this. People want to hear about live bait. They want to continue. They want to hear what Luke Donay has to say about Southern Flounder. So let's start the conversation about bait. Okay. All right, guys. So um, coming back in from tactics, uh, just trying to mesh through, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of baits that, that flounder eat. Flounder are a lot more opportunistic predators than they are picking out what they like and what they don't like. They're more, they're very ambush type. So, you know, when I, I don't, I don't clean and, and, and kill big flounder anymore because they're the big breeders. But when I used to do it and I'd cut them open, I would get big pinfish, croaker, spot, all the type of fish that actually travel on the bottom. So um, even though, you know, most of the baits that I use are, are pogies or mullet, um, don't be afraid to use pinfish, spot, croaker, things that naturally travel on the bottom because those flounder, they're going to attack it. Um, so, um, but, but even more so with type, I'm a big size guy. Okay. You know, the, the, the bigger, the better. I, I know a lot of people uh, in seminars that we do in the wintertime, when I'm taking questions, they, they ask why they are catching smaller fish. You know, and I asked them what they're using and they're, they're saying, oh, you know, I go and I buy me some mud minnows from from a uh, tackle store. And I'm not trying to put down mud minnows from a tackle store. But if you want to catch big flounder, you're not going to get them on mud minnows. OK, you want a bigger bait. Um, size is so much more important than uh, than than type. Um, you like I like. Pogies, I like mullet. I like a lot of things that can really attract a fish. The reason we use a Carolina rig, and we'll go into rigs after bait, but you know, you're using a Carolina rig to keep that bait close to the bottom. So 
uh, pogies and, and mullet in a lot of instances travel mid column to upper column unless you know pogies are feeding on the bottom or mullet are feeding on the bottom. We're using a Carolina rig to keep that bait down low so we can put it in front of a, a flounder's mouth. But if you said there, you think about, you know, other species of pinfish and croaker and, and, and spot, those fish that actually naturally feed on the bottom, don't be afraid to use those baits. Don't be afraid to use those baits, man. They're good baits, but but I like size. So going going into the size of baits, um, you know, when I was sitting there talking about people using mud minnows and catching small fish, it's because a mud minnow literally can't get big enough for the bigger flounder. And a lot of people are going to say, well, I caught a big old five pounder on this big old mud minnow. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you, uh, of normal, you're going to get bigger fish on bigger bait. Flounder, actually, if you look at a big citation plus size fish and you open up its mouth, I mean, that thing is like that mouth is like that. Right. So if they can fit it in that mouth, they're going to damn well try. So it's it's just definitely don't be afraid to use the bigger baits. I've had, you know, two, three pound fish hit a six, seven inch mullet with no no issue. So don't be afraid to use it. Um, actually, I met a guy uh, who was actual uh, an aquaculture guy and uh, who was one of the first guys here in North Carolina to start aquaculturing flounder. And he and he said he's like, man. These uh, these bigger fish, like they throw baits in the tank and they would sit there and they watch the smaller fish would come up and take them and big, bigger fish wouldn't even mess with it. You, then they started throwing it and they couldn't get those fish to eat. And they're like, well, maybe we should throw some bigger fish in there. They started throwing bigger fish in there and the bigger flounder started going after them. So trust me, a bigger flounder, unless you have a big temperature change or, a, or some type of shocking event to that flounder, man, they want a bigger bait. They're really not going to go after a smaller bait. So I promise you, size matters more than type. So on the bait sides, that's that's what we're talking about. And and so what size would be too big or what size would be too small if I'm on Luke Donay's boat? Um, so man, I like I like a solid four to six inch bait. Um that to me, that's the perfect size bait. Um, it's you're and once again, you're not gonna catch as many fish right? You're not going to catch as many fish, but the fish you get are going to be quality. They're going to be quality fish. You know, I could, I probably on a percentage wise, the fish that are brought on my boat, when you talk about the percentage of underside, like say non-keepers versus keepers, I, I get 90 to 95% keepers. All, I do not get small fish because I use bigger baits. I definitely use bigger baits. And, and believe me, I, those bigger baits get hit by smaller fish, but they just can't fit it in their gullet. And I don't want to, I don't want that hook in that smaller fish anyway. So might as well use big baits and those fish that you can catch, you can keep. Makes sense, man. So I guess beyond size though, you, do you have any ranking like in the summertime, I prefer this bait, you know, one, two in the fall, I prefer these choices, one, two. I mean, how so, about something on selection? Okay, yeah, no, for sure. So in the fall time, flounder, especially southern flounder, are going to be a lot more aggressive, right? They're they're getting in. They know breeding season's coming up. They're going to have to make a large journey to go out in the ocean. They're going to be a lot more aggressive getting toward the fall time. Uh, the summertime with that super hot water, um, you know, they're going to be a little less aggressive. So, you know, it's it's it, it, it's – also, you know, match the hatch. When you sit there, you start seeing 
these larger bait droves of mullet that are coming through, you know, it's, you know, a lot of times when the, when the bait is that thick, um, like say in June time frame when we have all the pogies that are running through the river, don't be afraid to throw something different out in the mix when there's the bait is that thick, you know, throw something different that's going to shine, um, like something that's going to sit on the bottom, something that's going to be a little bit different than the norm that's going through there. Um, same thing in the fall when all the white mullet or jumping mullet that are running through are going to be thrown out there. If you can find yourself some pogies to throw inside of that, that mullet, those mullet schools, man, that's awesome. Um, you know, because a lot of times when that, when that bait is that thick, it's a lot of times it's hard to get a fish to bite because they're full. A lot, you know, you get those types of major bait runs when you're bringing flounder up, their belly's already full. They're just hitting that out of convenience. So, you know, to sit there and, and have those types of things to mix it up a little bit when, when the bait is really thick and you're, you're using that single type of bait that's going through there. If you can get something a little bit different, a lot of times that'll spark the bait a little or spark the bite a little bit more than than it normally would. All right, man. So bait is thick. You're not matching the hatch. If bait isn't thick, then maybe you play the game more of match the hatch. Yeah. I mean, use both. I mean, if bait, if that's easy to get, get that bait and use that bait. Once again, size matters more than type, but I like when the bait is super thick. And if you've been out there when, man, you can walk on that bait, whether it's pogies or mullet, if you can throw something that's a little bit different. It, it a lot of times will spark a different bite, but definitely still throw that, that typical bait that's out there. But if you have the chance to get a different bait, a lot of times you'll get a bite that you weren't expecting. All right. So now my question, I don't want to overkill the bait conversation at all, but I think you still have stuff to share when it comes to bait. My thought is like, um, one, any, any tips, any insight as far as hooking the different types of bait. But even before that, you know, since you're dealing with bait a lot, like take me from cast net to live well to live well over a half or a three quarter day, keeping everything fresh, keeping everything healthy. Like what are some insights you've learned about caring for your bait and then ultimately hooking the bait? No, absolutely. That's, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, you know, it's one of the biggest things, especially with a shad type bait, whether you're using pogies or thread fin or, or greenies or whatever you're going to use on the shad style. Um, they're very easy to catch when you find them. So it's very easy to fill your live well up too much, right? Um, you can sit there and, and catch a couple hundred in a single cast. And if you're trying to put it in a live well, you know, that, uh, that's, that's a five, 10 gallon live well, you're going to, you know, you'll kill all of them. So especially with shad, that shad type of, of body, whether it's menhaden, greenies or threads, it's like, it's better, less is more, and they'll stay a lot longer during the day. So if you put too many baits in the live well, they'll die off a lot quicker. And I promise you, you won't use them all. So it's like, less is more on that front. Definitely on the shad that that's definitely the, the thing that you need to do is less is more because it keeps you going throughout the day um, on mullet. Uh, so here in North Carolina, we actually have two species of mullet. A lot of people don't realize this. They think that there's just one type of mullet. We actually have two. We have white or jumping mullet and then we have, you know, uh, striped mullet or Popeye mullet. Um, white mullet only breeds once a year. Popeye mullet actually breeds a couple times a year. So one of the neatest things is that in, in the season, which is normally literally this time right now, when the pogies are getting too big and the white mullet are still too small, 
The striped mullet you can go out and find because there's multiple different sizes of them um, and, and you can throw on them. They're, they're harder to catch because they're harder to target. Like I find, I go out in the middle of the day on a sunny day on a low tide with clear water and I can go out and load up on striped mullet. But a lot of times you just can't find them like you would um, say either pogies flipping on the top or white mullet when they're droving when they're big enough about the middle of July is normally when they start getting big enough in my taste to be able to use. So you've got, you know, you've got pogies that are, you know, start dying off and, or not dying off, but they start getting a little too big. Um, you know, you're using, you know, you're trying to use king pogies out there to, to catch flounder. And I'm all about a big bait, but sometimes it's just too big. Um, but, uh, but that, that you've got a little segue time in the summertime where, you know, there where it's good to sit there and say, okay, the, the white mullet's too small, the pogies are too big, let's go after striped mullet, or once again, that's a great time to go ahead and throw some pinfish on, throw some croaker on, throw some spot on. Um, you know, there's uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure the size is correct. And then for mullet in the live well, do I have to worry about putting mully and pogies cohabitating, you know, or? Um, it really doesn't, really doesn't matter with the, uh, with the mullet. I mean, mullet, are, they're pretty hardy. Uh, striped mullet are a lot more hardy than white mullet, but but still both the mullet are are, are pretty uh, are pretty hardy. Pogies are just going to die off if there's too many baits in the live well. Um, the one thing you never want to do though is put is put live shrimp in with with pogies or mullet because those shrimp will sit there and spear the li other live baits, and you'll kind of all of a sudden things start dying and you can't figure out why. But there's all prong prong marks and all the bait <laughs> because they're those shrimp started getting there. So. Um, I like to keep my shrimp separate. If you're going to be corking shrimp or if you're going to be doing something like you want to cork shrimp for redfish, trout, or even flounder, you know, I like to keep them in a separate live well if you have that ability. All right. What about hooking these baits? I mean, at least talk, walk me through a hook and a mullet, hook and a pogey, and then I don't know, pinfish are plentiful, man. You got my attention with that. You know, anything else you want to add? No, absolutely. So with mullet, mullet are super hardy. So I go straight up through the bottom right and all the way through the top and have that hook go out the top get yourself a little skull just don't go through the lips because you're going to throw your bait off it's not going to be good believe me mullet are really hardy don't worry about killing them going straight through the top of the head they're going to be just fine um so that's what i do on mullet with with pogies i've i because of my rig rig that we bring up we're going to bring up later um i actually have i found a way to hook a pogey that uh is is beneficial for the pogey uh for the longevity of it to be able to have it last a couple casts but also be able to keep that circle hook because i use a, a modified circle hook from from looping around on the bait and hooking the bait a second time and i'll i'll go into that later but with the um with the pogey i go through you you look at the eye that's on the side you'll see a cheekbone that's below it i literally put that hook point through the side come up through the top of the head and then out the top so instead of going up through the bottom and through the top which the pogey will die within one cast or going through the bridle um because with a circle hook if you go through the bridle bridle that circle hook will turn right back around on the bait and then hook the bait a second time and if a fish bites it there's no exposed barb and you lose the fish but by going in through the side and then through the top, it keeps that hook from turning, but also allows that pogey to breathe. So it's uh, it's not the strongest thing you th you're going to throw a lot of baits off. But great thing about pogies is normally you have a lot of baits. So um, so for, for those two now coming through when when you talk about pinfish 
and Croker and uh, and Spot being the way that they do, I I literally actually will take them and bring them through the bridle because the way they swim on the bottom, it does not naturally turn the hook around uh, like a pogey would do. So. I follow everything, man. I would say this is where I set you up for any last thoughts on bait before we transition to gear. Bigger is better. All right. Well, we got it. Bigger is better. Well, now let's start the gear discussion. And Billy does have your diet. When we come to it, Billy does have your diagram. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So uh, we'll, we'll go straight into, uh, we'll start off with the rod uh, that I like to use. Um, I like anything from, you know, uh, uh, six to 10 to eight to 15 uh, pound test rod. I like a, a, a lot of, uh, uh, I like a lot of ass in the back with a flexible tip. Um, main reason being is a lot of times we're, you know, well, most of the times we're, we're fishing structure, right? So it's not really for the flounder per se. It's really to kind of pull your stuff off of structure if you need be. Um, so I, I like that a little bit thicker, a thicker, butt with a, but you need to have that flexible tip because a, a flounder bite a lot of times is very subtle. Um, you know, a flounder can be very aggressive, but most of the time they're not. A lot of times they're hitting half the bait and you want to be able to feel whether or not they hit half that bait or whether they thumped it, right? Normally when a flounder thumps it, that bait's in his mouth and you can start reeling. But a lot of times, most of the time, and especially now in the heat of summer when they're a little bit more lethargic, they're going to kind of half hit. And so, you know, you know, all of a sudden you'll just kind of feel that dead weight. You know, you feel that dead weight. So drop that back to them just a little bit, and then you'll feel it. And what they're doing is they're readjusting that bait in their mouth. And after you get that one or two, they're going to try to swim away, swim away a little bit. So you go ahead and keep that rod tip up and start reeling. So that's where that flexible tip comes into play, but you really need to have that a, a little, a lot of mass in the back to be able to do it. I like a seven foot to seven two rod. Uh, really kind of gives me that uh, that type of ability. Um, and uh, so on that, that's that's my favorite rod when I'm when I'm talking about spinning. I go a little bit shorter with uh, with a bait caster because I like pitching baits with a bait caster. So I like a six six to six eight on the bait caster side. Um, same type of thing though, nice flexible tip, but with a lot of, a lot of butt in the back. Um, so to me, that's, that's the type of rod you kind of want to try to covet. Um, it's, and believe me, it's, it's better to have a more noodly rod, a little, little bit more flexible rod than a stiffer rod. Um, you know, if, if you're taking your super stiff trout rod, you know, to, to flounder fish, a lot of times that just, it just doesn't do it. Go ahead and get a little bit more noodly on the top third of the rod, but make sure that that back third is solid and stiff. You can you can go ahead and adjust your uh, that that middle third to be a little more stiff or a little bit more uh, um, um, limp than than you normally would have. Uh, but but just kind of keep it in those in those uh, parameters. Um, you know, I use a uh, anywhere from a, a 3500 to a 4500 reel, kind of depending on on what uh, brand. Uh, I really like Daiwa. Uh, their their BGs are the the BG 3500 and 4000 are awesome. Um, main reason being is they last. I've had I've had Penn, I've had Shimano, and I like both Penn and Shimano. I really do. But I, I really have found that the, that the BGs literally last. I'm going on year three of my BGs, and they still run like the day I, I had them. And I've yet to have a Shimano or a pen that lasts that long. So I, I really like that. Um, 
So just just throw that out there. And everybody's partial to the real. So do what you need to do on that front. But um, going into going into line on that on that rod, I use a 30 pound braid. I like Power Pro Slick. Um, it's it's to me it's cost ratio versus uh, you know the more expensive stuff. I really can't see a difference throwing live bait. I do see a difference throwing artificial, but throwing live bait and the way of doing it, you don't have to buy the most expensive braid out there, but I do like the Power Pro Slick. It's it's really, really good. Um, but I use 30 pound Power Pro, uh, Power Pro. Um, and uh, once again, it's not for the fish we're catching, it's for the structure we're fishing. So I do a, a 30 pound braid, and then I tie that uni to uni, to a 30 pound slide leader. And this is what's different, what I do with what most people do with a Carolina rig. I do a five, about a five foot slide leader of 30 pound monofilament. The main reason being is it allows that weight, that Carolina rig weight to slide perfectly up and down that line. Braid is really, really supple. So a lot of times it'll wrap around that weight and not allow that, that egg sinker to do what it's meant to do. So if you can do a 30 pound braid to 30 pound uh, monofilament uni to uni, and then put your uh, egg sinker on there and then, and then tie your rig onto that, you're gonna be in, in really good stead. So 30 pound braid, 30 pound slide leader, and then you go to your rig, okay? Now I do, um, I, this is about the length that I use. It's anywhere 12, 15 inches, kind of depends on, on what you're fishing. But um, I do a uh, I do 20 pound rig leader and I use fluorocarbon. Okay, and I really like Yuzuri. Uh, main reason being is actually Yuzuri fluorocarbon is uh, is actually thinner than most fluorocarbon. So the 20 say 20 pound Yuzuri, you put it up next to uh, other fluorocarbons, you can actually see the difference. It's like thinner but just as strong. So you're going to pay a little bit more for it, but I guarantee you it's worth it. So. I, I use Yuzuri 20 pound. The reason I do 30, 30, 20, so 30 pound braid, 30 pound mono, uh, and then 30 or 20 pound fluoro is because we're fishing structure. If you're not, if you're not losing rigs, you're in the wrong spot. So this rig is going to get caught on stuff. Just, just realize this and, and make sure you plan accordingly. So you're going to break rigs off. So I'd rather break it off right here at the hook than sit there and lose my whole rig. So 30, 30, 20 is the way to go. Um, I just use a regular Spro, um, you know, anywhere from 80 to 100 pound, you know, type swivel. It really kind of doesn't matter. The, actually, the key about it is, is Flounder's not going to shy away from the swivel. The biggest thing the swivel is really doing is from everything to keeping from getting tangled up, but also allowing that, that egg sinker from getting tangled up on that swivel. So use a little bit bigger. It's not going to matter, It, but it just de definitely helps that. Um, that way from getting hooked up. So now the, the action part is right in the knot, the hook. And this is actually something that was taught to me by an offshore fisherman um, when they, when they fish for offshore fish. And I started using it for flounder and this is my catch. So I use a Eagle claw circle C. So this hook right here, it kind of looks like a circle hook, but it's a little smushed. So if you can kind of think of a mix between a kale hook and a circle hook, it really does the job on flounder. You can actually really get a, it, it has that kale hook feel, which kale hooks were made for fluke. So it's like, 
it it enables that fish to really kind of grab a hold of it uh, instead of having a perfectly round circle, you know, circle hook. But it's still a circle hook. You have that little type of like bent barb right there, and um, and that right there really enables it that fish to go up and grab it. So now something that's interesting, if you guys can see this, is that I've I've snailed and. Uh, an eye that's not offset. Most of the time when you see snelled hooks out there, they're snelled in an offset eye. So a lot of time that eye is not straight, it's offset, right? And so, so that way that hook pulls straight. Now, by doing this with this hook and a straight eye, watch what happens when I sit there, say my hand's a flounder, it's gonna come up here and grab it. And then I pull it and it goes sideways. So that right there enables you to sit there and set that hook as soon as you feel that flounder thump. So instead of sitting there waiting, to, you know, 10 minutes for that flounder to suck it and you're pulling it out through his poop hole, right? You're sitting there able to get that fish right in the corner of the mouth the first time. And it works, man. It works. And so the snelling is part of it and then specifically like not going through the eye so that you get that angle action. Right, because that that straight that straight eye right here, because it's straight, that line pushes it pushes against that eye. So that offset eye, if you had an offset eye, it would pull that hook straight. But by pushing against that bend, it makes it go sideways. And so right there, it automatically turns that bend of the circle hook right in the corner of the mouth. So all of a sudden, this whole counting deal is is done. No, you don't have to do that. So if we go to the diagram just as a summation, is that going to, I forget what your diagram shows. Is that going to show what you just covered or is that a diagram yes. for another? No, no, that's exactly what, what I just explained. So yes, you're not, you're not setting me up for failure. Billy, can you bring that up? And we'll just, this will wrap up our conversation. And look, Luke, you're down there in the bottom. Hey. So 30 pound power pro, uni to uni knot, mono, leader. Egg sinker bead. You don't have a bead yep. on both sides of the egg sinker? No, just on one. Main reason being is you don't want that that egg sinker. The reason you have the bead there is you that bead is going to keep that egg sinker from getting stuck on that swivel. So it's uh that's the only reason the bead's there. It's not for color or flash or anything. It's just keep it keeps that egg sinker to be able to slide back and forth on that on that uh, monofilament to be able to give you the best thing, the best scenario. And no problem with it going the other way and getting wrapped up in the uni to uni knot. No, it really, it rarely does that. I mean, every once in a while you'll see it when it happens, but that almost never happens unless, especially if you're casting the rod right. Got it, man. All right. Well, I, I just wanted to put that up as a summary of what you said, you know, just to give people a visual guide so they can free screen if they want. And uh, that's fantastic. What I don't know where we're going from here, though. Where, where do we go from this conversation? Well, I mean, it's... Let's kind of do a summation of both the two the two shows. Okay. Um, we uh, we we talked about tactics. We talked about habitat. We talked about you know where to find flounder, how to do it. You know on on a single day out. We talked about gear. We talked about bait. Um, the key is to be able to take all of those things and create your own plan. I can give you as many tips as I can on on how and what, why, when, where type of deal, but it only the one of the biggest things that I can throw across to, to people listening to this podcast is 
it's all about your time on the water. The more time you spend on the water and the more time you do your homework, it's one of the hardest things about fishing is, is going out and, and doing things you're not comfortable with. You always want to go out and, and do things that you're comfortable with. So you always kind of fall back to that, that level of, of fishing. It, but the whole time you're wanting to be better. If you want to be better, get out of your comfort zone and, and, you know, not just me, but people that are, you know, other podcasts that, that uh, Gary is, is putting on and Fisherman's Post is putting on, listen to these guys and take that and just take a day and just do nothing but what we say. I guarantee you it might not produce, you know, what you want, but I guarantee you, you're going to learn something on the water that you can put in your own repertoire that you can sit there and make yours. And that's what all of this is about is about it's not about taking what I'm doing and mimicking it. It's taking what I'm doing and adding it to what you are do and making you a better fisherman. So ultimately take everything that I'm saying with a grain of salt, but try it. Go out and just try it. And I know a lot of you guys out there, you know, it's tough. You know, you you don't have a lot of time on the water. You don't have, you know, sometimes it's it's maybe once a month, a couple of times a year. But I promise you, if you do these things that, that we say, you know, it might not be explosive, but it will add to your knowledge and it's really going to help. It's really going to help. I feel you, man. And, uh, I, I like it. It, you know, I think we do look at podcasts or fishing schools. We do look for shortcuts because the time on the water advice is so hard in reality for so many people. I sympathize with, you know, with that. And so I always like to say, man, what, What's my best tip to like just try to get a keeper flounder in the boat? And so maybe I'm going to put that to you here. That'll be our wrap up, you know, for part two. And so with flounder season, you know, being a short, short window in September, what is someone's best play in September to try to, and I know you're talking to people up and down the coast and it might be an impossible task. Best play to put a keeper flounder in the boat September. First, first things first is guys, be safe out there. Uh, we we have we went from a month and a half what we were expecting to keep our flounder to two weeks. It literally is going to be water world out there. So first and foremost, be safe, be mindful of other fishermen, and but but ultimately, you know, trust me, just be kind, courteous, keep your distance. Um, it's I know it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy so do that first and foremost have a good time that's what fishing's all about but it, once you get that and you get your spot and you're in there use big baits use the rig that i just showed you and have patience i promise you they will come how long does luke donate fish a spot before he moves on a beer's worth i think we asked you that in part one yes because that's a clever an- i mean i now i remember the answer you that's know that's right I- I didn't do my homework. I didn't watch part one before filming part two. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a little more prepared <laughs> on the part two versus the part one. <laughs> um, Luke, you did great. I tell you what, you know, you we had you on here, part one, part two, talking about flounder. But let's finish. Uh, instead of that question, let's finish with, man, tell people what Spot on Charters is all about when you're not flounder fishing. So, uh, obviously, you know, I, I actually got into flounder f- or uh, guiding because of flounder fishing and now that you know obviously you know the flounder season is uh is very limited for a keeper flounder i still fish for them so um you know if, if you want to go out and you want to catch catch big flounder especially get some good shots i'm a pretty good photographer i can i can i can hook you up 
Um, but uh, but definitely, you know, come on out. We're I'm all about trout drum the flounder. Um, you know, we a lot of times we're catching redfish right where we're catching flounder. Um, you know, as fall time, spring time, the trout bite is super solid. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm about. I'm I'm mostly in the Cape Fear and the Lower Cape Fear River. Uh, I uh, you know I very rarely do the intercoastal. I like to get away. Cause I like the, not only the experience for you to be good. I don't want to be around a bunch of people. I like to get out and get away and, and look what this beautiful place around us has to offer. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want a good experience and, and hopefully catch some nice fish, call me. All right, man, Luke, thank you so much for, for being with us twice for making that much time available. I know I appreciate it. I can't imagine the viewers and listeners don't appreciate it. Thank you, Luke. Awesome guys. Thank you. All right, Billy. All right, man. What an episode. As I said about the first one, I told you guys, looks the real deal, man. I love that diagram, too. It's like, you better take a screenshot. You, uh, you said a, a free screen. I don't know what the heck that is, but a screenshot in 2021. <laughs> I don't know what I said. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Gary. Oh, man. So what are we talking about? My best takeaway? Best. Billy's Look at best this. takeaway. I got a page of notes. I got a page of notes. Um, my best takeaway, well, one, I always, when someone says bigger bait, it's better. I always love that because that big bait, big fish, whatever. My grandfather taught me that. Um, and then I love how the, the, I didn't realize the hook snelling thing on the straight shaft thing. I, I, I was like pretty surprised by that. And I've listened to, to Luke Donay teach on this several times in several different mediums or whatever. And I, for whatever reason, missed that. So that might be a golden nugget. Uh, wait, did you hear that? Oh, yeah. That was some money. That was money, Gary. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, I, you weren't expecting that, were you? I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> anyway, that's my best takeaway. You know, I think one of my favorite <laughs> takeaways is, um, according to Luke, people who fish with mud minnows have a very funny accent. <laughs> mud minnow. Mud minnow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, man. Yeah. Uh, you better stop messing with him. He's going to take that rod away for that tournament. Oh, yeah. I don't want to clown him. <laughs> I'm not clowning you, Luke. We're trying to stir up trouble with you and the Southport Anglers. Yeah, you better not do that, Gary. They'll come and get you, man. They will. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching. If you're watching or listening, if you're listening, and uh, go check out Marine Warehouse Center and R.A. Hitch as they've made this show possible. And go buy a boat and then go to R.A. Hitch and get your all your outdoor needs, all your bike racks, all that stuff. Uh, but then uh, go go hang out with those guys in Marine Warehouse. And I think Terrell is still telling some jokes. We didn't hear one on the show tonight, but I know he's still at it. We just uh, we had to say, pump the brakes there, Terrell. We can't deal with it anymore. <laughs> He'll be back. He'll be back. All right, we'll see you guys later. Fisherman.